It's a pleasure to have you return here to the Grief Observed podcast. I'm Brad Morrell, your host. Um, I first want to thank all my listeners who have shared this podcast with others and on many, many various platforms. Um, to date, we've had over 900 downloads, and this podcast is barely a month old, so I really appreciate that. Um, you can tell the need is very great in the grief community. And as is my custom, I'm inviting you to join the podcast as a guest. Uh, reach out to me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com and just share a little bit about yourself, the person you've lost, and your journey through grief, and we'll arrange for you to be on the show. Uh, one interesting fact about this podcast is that we have already had a gin with one N, a gin with two Ns, and today we have Jenny. Um, Jenny very recently lost her father. She also has been journaling her grief journey through her own podcast, um, as you will soon discover. I'll let her tell you more about that, but uh, for now, I'll stop with the introductions and just bring on our next guest. So, Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. You're very welcome, and I always state to my guest, you know, I, I hate this is how we've met, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to have met you Um and, and I'm looking forward for you to, you know, just tell us more about your story. So first of all, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, my name is Jenny. I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I live in the city of Markham. Um, and I've, I've been here my whole life. Um, I came to Canada when I was one. And um, yeah, it's you know, this is where I grew up and this is where it all started. And I'm here. I came here. My parents brought us here and um, I was born in Africa. So we, my parents were in Africa for 10 years. So we came here and my parents came with one suitcase and a hundred dollars. Wow. I think there's a lot of stories like that about immigrants and stuff. So they they survived like they were able so I think at the time of course I was one so I wouldn't have remembered things I remembered from the time we were four years old so they got a place at the Y and then they did rent an, an apartment shortly and then they they bought our house so they bought our house when I was four and both of my parents had to find jobs and they both got jobs 15 minute walk from our house, which was so amazing. And they both had fantastic jobs. My dad worked for 30 years at Cascades Company. That's a paper company where they make cardboard for cereal boxes. And you go to the washrooms and it's all the paper towels and stuff. And um, he was an engineer there. And my mom worked for Colgate Palmolive and she made all the soap and toothpaste and all of that stuff. So they had amazing jobs and, you know, they had really good work, work ethic to kind of stay at your job. They never, ever called in sick. And uh, yeah, that's how their careers were. Well, I'll tell you that that's a lost art right there. Just uh, work ethic in general, you know, it's here in the U S work ethic has really, really gone downhill um, you know, one thing you said, though, was that uh, these immigrant type stories are familiar, but I do believe it's something that uh, is kind of going away. Like we don't hear as many as, say, I don't know, even 40, 50 years ago. Of course, I'm just a hair under 50, but we don't hear those stories like we used to. So I, I find it interesting. And uh, you, pr you probably, you probably wouldn't want to come here. It's so expensive. So really? you wouldn't even think about, cause to start here, you're, you're going to buy a house for a million dollars and nobody has that kind of money. So I would never move to Toronto today because it is so expensive. It's crazy. The groceries are ridiculous. So Honestly, no, it's not happening anymore, but this was in the early days when life was different and things were affordable. And my parents came based on a friend telling them that Canada is such a good place to go. And they just went randomly. 
So they had to start new lives coming here. And I have to thank them for giving me an amazing life. And because my dad worked hard and since I was four years old, every two weeks he worked overtime. It could be anywhere from one to five shifts. He did that his whole life. So we were able to live good lives because he took overtime every two weeks. Wow. And, and for him to only have had $100 in a suitcase and uh, sounds like he was he had a vision for his future and his family's future, apparently. But, but the reality is you never know what's going to happen. We also could have been homeless. Like a lot of things could have happened. So even though it was back in the days, you're really taking a chance because you don't have a house, you don't have a job, you don't have income. It's hard. So they did whatever they needed to do while I was young. And, and then... Um, you know, they, they were smart. My mom got me a babysitter who lived across the street, Mary, and she was just amazing. I loved her. So mm. I would go to her house in the mornings and my mom would go to work. And it was just, it was nice. So do you have any siblings, Jenny? I have one sister. She's a younger sister. She's married. She's got three kids. Okay. Does she also live near you? Um, she lives about 25 minutes by the highway. She lives in Woodbridge, so not too far. Okay. All right. Um, hmm. So tell me more about your dad. Tell me more about his life. What, uh, you know, obviously it sounds like he was a hard worker and he cared a lot about his family. Yes. So my dad, it's really weird because I didn't think anything of it because I just thought it was what all dads do. He spent his entire life, and when I say entire, I mean his entire life looking after his family and looking after our house. So if we needed repairs done, somebody to fix something, he would always call some maintenance person. Um, so that was never an issue. There was always some repair person coming for something. And all he did was look after the house. He paid all the bills. I think he paid his mortgage in 17 to 18 years. He got it completed. Um, he bought uh, a condominium when I was in high school. So we still have that condominium for rent and that's paid off. Um, they had a second condominium, but they sold it when we got our last house. So that was fine. Um, he was just always looking after all of us whenever we needed something you know, we were going to get it. So I never, ever heard of them saying, oh, I don't have enough money. I have to wait till payday. Um, you know, that's a little expensive. I never once heard my parents talk like that because they did never lived like that. They lived with having money all the time. So they, they it was never an issue about waiting for payday. And I have done that. Through COVID, I lost my job for a year and a half. So I lived like that, where you got to wait for payday. But my parents never did. They never grew up like that. Like they, a little old school. So I think back then they would use checks because people would use checks. Um, they would use credit cards or cash. They never used a debit card in their life. I don't think they even knew how to use that. Um, I think they had one, but I had never seen my dad go to the machine and do that. They did everything a little old school. And what he would do is, let's say we would go out and every weekend we would go for groceries and lunch on a Saturday. Go to the mall, go get whatever we needed. We would go together and we did that our whole lives and it was fun. And so whatever shopping we did, groceries and stuff, that following week, between Monday and Friday when he was off, he would go to the bank and pay off all that stuff. Hmm. So when he was getting in the mail was just invoices. He wasn't actually getting any statements because the following week he would go once or twice to the bank and pay off everything. And they never believed in several payments. They would just pay everything off at once. And I just didn't know. I just thought that was normal. So whatever the payment was, it was a one-time deal. 
he wasn't going to do it in three or four payments. Sounds so, like he didn't want to owe anybody anything in this lifetime. Yeah. You know what? They were very good with money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he did, he did just fine and he didn't want to have debts. So he just always paid everything off and he was always on top of it. He never once got behind. And it was like, I never thought much of it then, but now that he's not here, I'm thinking, oh my God, dad, you were so smart. Yeah. You were like, you were like amazing with money. I mean, he also had an amazing job. I'm like, and he was so smart and they never, there was never an issue with money and he did well. So we were very fortunate to be living like that and not have to worry about money because we lived fine. Hmm. I've got a question, but first I want to ask, how old was your father whenever he passed? Uh, he was 87. 87. Okay. Yeah. As as much as he was 87, I still thought he could live into his 90s. Hmm. What what happened to your dad? Um, he had to he fell at home. He fell, I think, going down the basement stairs. And so he we had to take him to hospital because he was laying flat. I had to get my sister, my mom to help me get him up, but we couldn't get him up. So I called 911. And it turned out that he broke his leg and arm because he landed on that side. Mm. So he went and had surgery for the leg and that was fine. But there was all these other medical complications, which I couldn't understand because he clearly didn't have that at home. He got pneumonia. He got an infection in the blood. He got COVID twice in two different hospitals, which I couldn't understand. I don't think he really had it, but they had to follow the testing. So he had COVID twice. He had pneumonia. He had an infection in his lung. Then he had difficulty swallowing. They said in the CAT scan, it showed there was potential stroke stuff happening. Mm. Um, and he was intubated for three weeks. So that was very difficult. And so he had high potassium. So every day I came in, there was another health issue. And I could, you know, when looking at him in bed, I'm like, my God, I've never seen him in this state. He's ever only gone to the hospital once when he broke his arm in the wintertime in the parking lot at the mall. Um, other than that, he had never been to the hospital. And seeing him in this state, I was like, you know, he developed the infection and, um, at the hospital he got COVID at the hospital I'm like I don't know if they're here to make him better or they're here because they're just making him sicker I mm. couldn't understand you know the state he was in and how he got there because when he was at home he was just fine and independent you know I, I say often that um and maybe this is too hard on the medical community but in a lot of ways I state you know there's no money in well people, you know, and whether, you know, they do things to keep people intentionally sick or not, that's debatable, but it's just, um, the, the amount of money that hospitals charge the, uh, you know, medications and things, it's just unbelievable. The, the money in our healthcare systems, I don't know how much different it is there in Canada versus the U S um, but I just, I feel like people should be more well than what we are at, at this point in life. You know, I, I don't know. I, I know we've had medical advancements and things like that over the years. Um, but it just seems like we still have a huge amount of sick people. Right. Right. I think it's always going to be like that. And yeah, they do charge a lot of money for stuff. It's Ridiculous. I think it's way worse in the States because we have OHIP coverage and you guys don't. So it's way worse. But yeah, it's it's bad. Everything that they charge you for, it's it's unbelievable. And you wonder where they come up with these prices. Cause one day I would want to know who came up with these prices. That's the question. Right. Um, 
so yeah so I don't so you know when I would look at him in the bed I'm like this is not even my dad mm. like who is this person because how did he get so sick mm-hmm. like why is he on an intubator when he was breathing fine at home like I'm just it's just three weeks and they, he finally got off of it the weekend before he passed and I thought we were making progress. They actually told me that week that he's going to be transferred from ICU to a medical floor. So if you're being transferred, that's showing me you're making some progress. Right. It should be, right? It's You're seeing so they, visual they, signs of it. They were, they were waiting that week till they had a bed available. They said, whenever they call and tell us they have a bed available, we're going to be transferring him out of ICU which would be like three weeks in ICU. I'm like, that's amazing. It doesn't matter how long it takes to get better. Uh, That's good progress, right? But that did not happen because this happened. Hmm. Now, I told them he's breathing. Like, is that going to be permanent? Because I don't want to hear another story that he stopped breathing. They said, no, his breathing is just fine. So in my mind, I said, oh, okay, this is good because I didn't think that there was anything that was going to cause, like everything was a problem, but I didn't think anything was going to be severely serious. I thought everything was sort of manageable, but clearly I was wrong. Hmm. I definitely hate that you lost your father and it sounds like uh, he was a good father. Were you very close with him growing up? Okay. Yes. Yes, we lived together, but yes, um, growing up. I think growing up, um, I was a little closer to my mom because it's something with the female thing or whatever, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, but then growing up, yeah, I was fine with my dad and stuff. Like, we were we were just good and stuff. Well, this brings me to a question I was going to ask you way earlier, but I just didn't feel like it it fit at that time. So, you know, you were stating you learned a lot about your father and about his money habits, or or maybe your eyes were just now opened to those facts. But I'm curious, have you learned anything else about your father since his passing? That's something that you had no clue about. Um, that I had no clue about? Um. I don't know if I had no clue, but everybody that has come forward. So he has a big family and they're scattered, scattered all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I got a hold of most of the family between nieces and, you know, sisters and all that stuff. And they all live in different parts of the world, but they all said the same thing. They all said, your dad was the sweetest man on the earth. Mm. Every single one of them said that. Um, his one sister said that um, mom said that he was her favorite because he was the youngest and they all fully respected and looked up to him. And they all said that he was the kindest soul. And I truly know that, but it's nice to know that everybody else thought the same way too. Yeah, that's, that's great. And it sounds like, you know, he, he left, I guess uh, just great memories for everyone to share. And, and that's how we keep people alive, I think, is through the memories that uh, they brought us. So ha- has your perspective on life changed at all since your father passed? Yes. Um, you know, I never thought I would have to see this day, but I kind of feel like I lost my identity a little bit. Hmm. Because it's weird now that I can't say I have a dad. I'm only going to say I have one parent and I only have a mom. I just feel like I lost a bit of my identity. That's very common, Jenny. And the one thing that um, I heard when I was teaching a grief seminar, and I, I think I've mentioned it once on the podcast already, but I had this lady who had lost both of her parents and... She made a comment that I'll never forget, and I like to share it with people who make comments just like you have, but your father's blood still runs through your veins, so in a way, he's always with you, right? It's I think that was just a neat thing that she stated, and um, 
you know, it, it obviously doesn't bring your father back. And I know you miss him greatly, but he lives on through you. Um, I'm, I'm big into identity work with my clients. And one thing I state with them on identity is so many times we look at identity, um, you know, whenever I greet someone, usually the second thing after, you know, asking their name is, what do you do for a living? That's a lot of times how we identify ourselves. But identity shouldn't come just from our careers, our jobs, um, maybe a status such as mom or daughter. But you've got to find the deeper part of you. And I think to find who you are, the first thing you have to know is who you're not. Um, I, I realize that you have had an identity change or something that has impacted, um, I guess, the trajectory of your life. You didn't expect this moment with your father. You stated, you know, he was a healthy man before all this. Um, I, I'm sure it is a shock, but tell me more about the identity piece for you. Like, um, who would you have said you were before your father's passing? Um, I, I would, well, you know, when you, you, I would say like, I have my dad, I have my mom, I have my whole family. And it, it's kind of like the same as me saying, okay, in my house, it's everyone's house. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, it's my dad's house because his name is in the paperwork. So as much as it's my house, I always refer to it as my dad's house. Yes, it's our house. Now, I don't know whose house to say, to call it. Mm. I, I just, I'm calling it the house. I'm not sure as much as it's everyone's house. The reality is it was my dad's house because when I walk around and he's not here it's really weird for me it's like you know I go to the family room to the couch and look at that empty couch or I go to his room on the bed and it's empty on half the mattress and I'm like it feels weird so let me ask you something and kind of take this a, a different direction as opposed to looking at the physical things in life that were your fathers and now it's it's there's confusion because he isn't here and it's you're, you're stating okay it's no longer my father's house it's the house um i'm curious of what like what are some valuable lessons or maybe wisdom that your father imparted to you and how would you carry that forward in life and and i think that's a big part of identity right there you know that the right. things that you, that he instilled in you and, you know, obviously good work ethic you've mentioned, uh, being financially responsible. Uh, what are some other lessons that he may have talked to you about that you can carry forward with you? Well, well, he clearly was such a nice man that he taught me kindness. Taught me is important to always be kind because you don't know what that person's going through. And it doesn't matter if it's my neighbor, a stranger. We would have repair people come over. And next thing you know, my parents are giving them a meal to have lunch. I'm like, what's going on? So this random person is sitting at my kitchen table because my mom's preparing a meal. And my dad's going to go get him a beer. Mm. I'm like, of course, we don't know these people. But my dad's like, oh, he just worked like five hours. I'm like, well, give him something to eat. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, anytime anybody came over and they needed something, my dad was going to the basement, the garage. You know that they were going to get it. Like nobody mm -hmm. left our house empty handed. It was a doggy bag and probably a bag of stuff. Everyone always left our house with stuff. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like uh, not only was he a good manager of money, but he was just a generous man um, with with his resources. That's, you know, an awesome thing. And, and again, we don't see that as often 
in this day and time, people are selfish. You know, I always state that you can guarantee three things in this life. You know, people want things that are instant. They want things that are replaceable and it's all about me. They feel entitled, you know, and um, it sounds like your, your father was the opposite of all those things. You know, he, he worked hard and uh, things weren't replaceable and, and, uh, you know, it definitely wasn't about him. It sounds like he really loved others, even strangers. That's great. Yeah, he and especially at home, like he was just amazing because he looked after us and stuff and very nice to even people he didn't know that well, anybody coming to the house, you know, always made sure that they were having a good time. We fed them, you know, give them whatever. And, um, you know, like, for instance, um, everyone at work really respected him and his job. We used to go over there, bring dad food, go say hello if we were nearby. And we would go into, he worked in a lab. We would go into the lab and hang out and he's sitting there in his little lab coat and, and we're like in there playing on his computers and playing on the little tables and stuff. And because uh, that was like his own space and stuff. So it was kind of cool. And you know, everyone really respected him at work, and and um, it was it, he just it was he loved it. He loved working. He was there for such a long time. When you're at your job such a long time, you clearly know your job really well. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can train people. You can you can do a lot of good stuff. So he did really amazing at work, and my mom as well. And you know what? you know, work was really important for both of them. And they really, in those days, believed in like seniority, you know, having the stability, you know, and all of that. And they were really smart to do that, you know. Hmm. So I really give them credit for doing that at their jobs. Yeah. Because I guess life's so different now, but things were back then, you know, things were, were much different in those days, in the 70s and 80s. So have there been any like unexpected challenges that uh, have emerged through your, your journey through grief? Well, I think it's like an emotional roller coaster. Mm. As much as I said in my life, I've been through challenges and difficult times. I take it all back because that's not true when I have to compare to what I got to go through now. Whatever challenges I had in the past probably never account for what I'm going through now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's that's a profound statement right there. You know, we we always think we have it worse than what we do until we are faced with um, new challenging circumstances and uh, certainly losing a parent or a loved one or, you know, even a friend can change the dynamics immediately. And uh, that's obviously the case in your life. Well, it's it's life changing. So it's not like it's just today, tomorrow. They say the first year is the hardest, which I'm guessing. So the, the shitty part is it's almost Christmas. And this isn't what I had in the plans for Christmas. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, it's really weird. But last week I was going to... Um, go to the grocery store we have a grocery store called longos and they do christmas dinners so all you have to do is pick like three sides you want because they have a bunch of sides and it was turkey it was stuffing it was gravy so you have to order it by three days before christmas so i was planning to order that this week because it's like 75 dollars to feed like three people and i thought even if he's in the hospital I'll still take him a nice meal. He can eat a nice meal, even if he's in the hospital. If he comes home, fantastic. But I'm like, I'll go get some Christmas ornaments to take to the hospital, get some Christmas music. And, you know, I would be happy to spend the day with him at Christmas in the hospital. And we could eat together and hang out together. And I said that would be fine. And I was going to order the food. And then look what happened. Mm. Yeah, I, I hate this for you. It's um, definitely a challenging time of the year for this. 
So you're talking about, you know, these first years, and I would agree, you know, from everyone that I've ever spoken with, even in my own personal life, I feel like that first year is the hardest because it's um, adjusting to something that um, you've not dealt with for your entire life. You know, I'm, I'm 48. I won't ask you how old you are, Jenny, but for, you know, if something were to happen to me today, I've been... Uh, for lack of better words, programmed with how I believe today is. Um, so it's going to be really hard for me to think about something, some major change in my life, like a person has left. Um, I'm trying to think. There, There's a book out there called The Grieving Brain by Mary Frances O'Connor, and she kind of describes this in her book. And... Um, she uses one rat study that was just phenomenal in my brain. <laughs> and uh, I, I'd love to share it with you just to kind of tell you why we do what we do. So they put these little, I'll, I'll try to describe it in uh, layman's terms here for everybody that's listening, but they kind of put the little hat on the rat and sent it through a maze. And there was this tower of blue Legos inside the maze and as the rat would pass through it wouldn't really pay attention to these blue legos there was like no food or anything like that attached to it It was just an object in the room so as it would pass by this one set of neurons started firing called object cells it just says hey something's there so then they removed the blue legos and they keep sending this rat through and another set of neurons start firing called object trace cells. And it basically states something was here and it's missing. And it took several passes through before this set of neurons started diminishing in, in its uh, firing inside of the little rat brain. So what it tells us is basically when something is there, and of course, we differ greatly from rats. We have emotion that they have, you know, not as much as what we do, but it will take many times of you waking up and knowing that your father isn't there before those neurons start settling down. Of course, with us being human, I don't think they'll ever go away ever. You know, grief is a long-term process, but, Things do change. You do move forward. But that year of first that you had mentioned is so important because there's birthdays, there's anniversaries, there's the holidays that you're speaking of that we have these markers in our brain that say, hey, these are important. When you get to that second year, I believe that things start to settle down Um and the biggest thing that you can say by the time you get to year two is, okay, I've been here before. This still is not a great time for me, but I know I can do this. I've done it before. What What are your thoughts on any of that? The, the rat story or just knowing that, hey, the second year, I will feel differently than I do now? Uh, definitely, probably the second year may be better, but the reality is, you still, I've still lost my dad regardless of, because I've talked to other people in grief, in grief groups on Facebook saying, it's been three years and I'm still grieving. So mm -hmm. I think the grief is permanent per se, as far as, yes, I'll be able to move forward at some point, be able to cope, be able to do things. I don't know when. There's no rule or guess it will be in the first year. I don't know exactly. I will again, of course. Um, I, I would assume I still have years to go as I live. Um, so yes, I will do things and stuff. But I think you're, there's always some element or some period that you would be grieving for your father. Because you only have one father. You only have two sets of parents. So, you know, I hear people telling me, yeah, my mom died four years ago, but I can still hear their pain. Yeah, I I feel like 
you know, the word better is highly subjective too. Um, you know, as, as I've spoken with many guests, you don't ever get over it. You don't get around it. It's just something that you progress through. Um, there, there's a great image out there that I would, uh, maybe I can find a, a link to an image and, and put it in the show description as well. Um, but it's, it's, we don't, the grief never diminishes, right? It's, it doesn't get smaller, but we kind of grow around it. And there's, uh, several different images of this. One of them that I can recall was like a jar. It shows, you know, this ball of grief in the jar and the ball never changes size sizes. So it's the same in each jar, but the jar itself kind of expands as we go along. And I think that's a good way of, of thinking about our lives. We, I think we learn more about uh, grief period, but we also learn more about the individual. We learn more about grieving for that individual. So I feel like we do uh, learn more and, and maybe that's where you learn more about your identity as well. You know, learning, um, how to deal with this grief. It will be a part of your identity, right? It's, and I, I look at identity as puzzles, you know, and you're adding pieces to the puzzle and, you know, the, the big identity overall, that, that overarching puzzle for Jenny's life is starting to fill in, you know, the older you get, the more you're realizing about your personal life. Um, it's just this is one of those pieces that you wish you never had to add, right? Right. Hmm. It's uh, it's it's tough, and I am talking to other people in bereavement groups, which is nice. I also spoke to a grief counselor twice. Good so for you. Good. I will. I will start a bereavement group in January because they start in January, so. I think that that might be important for me because it's for my mental health. So, and it's, it's also, they have activities like a book club going for a walk and things like that. So those things I think would be nice for me. And um, so I think I'm doing the right things to help me because this is kind of new for me. So I'm just learning all about grief because I've never had to really understand it before yeah it's i don't think it's anything that we go looking for um in this life and it's i wish it is something that we taught earlier you know i always talk to my clients about you know if if i handed you a parachute right now as you're sitting in front of me um you would think i was crazy like i don't need a parachute i'm not in a plane that's going down but when you're in the plane going down, you want to know how to operate that parachute. And I think it's kind of like that with grief. You know, we we don't always um, want to learn about it until we're forced to do so. And the crazy yeah. thing is that a lot of times you can't learn about it until you are going through it. Because we can all sit here and hypothesize of how we're going to be um, during moments of grief, you know, I am lucky to still have both of my parents and, uh, two step parents as well. And I, I sit there and think, you know, what will happen when I have to bury one of my parents and, you know, listening to people like you talking through grief with clients, things like that. I, I think I know what I'll do, but until I face that moment, I really don't have a clue, you know? Right. It's a, it's a difficult journey. It's not a journey that you want to be on, but I guess this is what God has given me. And this is how things are because this is what I have now. And this is what I have to deal with going forward. And uh, the other component that's very difficult, and that's just another conversation, but I'll, I'll make a mention of it. My mom has dementia. Hmm. At the beginning, the doctor said it was mild, but I questioned that. Um, so in the basis of her having dementia, she doesn't know what's going on. She never asked me about my dad ever. So I was very confused. And I don't know if because she doesn't remember, but then I'm thinking she doesn't ask me where dad is. 
So I'm not sure. I made an appointment for her to see the doctor for January because he's away right now. Um, so she, like, I showed her at the funeral at the casket. I'm like, that's dad. And after this, you're not going to see him. This is the last time you're physically going to see dad. You're not ever going to see him outside of a picture or something. And so she's never asked me any questions about dad unless I bring up his name. Oh, that is, that's heartbreaking. Well, I think that pain, I'm experiencing her pain. The pain that my mother's supposed to have as a widow, that pain is come to me as her daughter. Hmm. So I don't know. I'll talk to the doctor about it to see about that or to see how we can discuss my dad so that the thing is, even though she has dementia and forgets things, but the doctor told me at the beginning, she remembers personal things about her life because she's really good about talking about her childhood when she was in school, growing up. But I wasn't clear then how come she's not talking about that? Because she married him when she was 19. <laughs> it was a long time. So she never talks about him. And I don't know if it's because she's not remembering or if she still thinks he's in the hospital. When he was in the hospital, we were going to visit. We were visiting him daily. I would go there every single day when I woke up in the morning. And she would come with me. And now we don't go to the hospital anymore. But she doesn't ask me about where dad is. So I'm not sure what she thinks. Mm. I'm glad that you're you're getting in, uh, getting her into uh, some care in January. That I think that's very important uh, when people are experiencing dementia. Um, and I hope that you know they can assist her through this for sure. But I it's it is heartbreaking to know that uh, you're grieving. And, you know, normally I'm certain that your mother would be grieving with you, but due to her own health care or her own health, um, she's not able to do that. And is, is that hard for you knowing that you're still grieving, but can't really speak to your mother about it? Fully, because I didn't know it was going to get to that. I thought she would just know, like I had no idea, but she doesn't ever say anything about dad so I don't know if she doesn't like it's not that she doesn't remember dad she knows all of us but that's the part I'm not clear about why she never asks me about dad because why wouldn't she because she doesn't see him she doesn't mm -hmm. see him sitting on the couch she doesn't see him having breakfast and we see would see him every single day so I'm not sure what she's thinking Mm. Yeah, I I definitely hate that. That's that's got to be tough for you to watch. Yeah, it's kind of that on top of everything else that I have to go through. I'm just like I wasn't ready for this and I'm like God must hate me to do this to me because when my dad was in hospital, I was praying every single day. And this is what I get for it. So let me ask you, because you've you've mentioned God, and where do you see God in all this for you? Um, I don't know. I'm a little confused about that because I'm not sure how God is with me through all of this. That means God has to try and strengthen me, but I'm not sure where God is at the moment through all of this because it's very confusing and how is it that God is helping me? That part I'm not sure about. One one exercise that I've mentioned before in the podcast that may be helpful for you is um, I always have people visualize a moment where they felt like God could not be any closer, almost like you're sitting in his lap, some moment that you really cherish in life. And just think about that moment and what it feels like. And then pray to God, like, okay, I'm going through this tough situation. I, I've lost my father. My mother is uh, 
you know, showing dementia here and, and I'm really struggling here. Reveal yourself to me in this situation. Where are you, God? And it's amazing some of the things that I see or hear from people who do that exercise. And, uh, you know, I would challenge you to do that at some point, just, um, almost like challenge God, you know, like, where are you? I, I need you. And, and I don't always feel you, um, show yourself to me. And, and I, I do believe that he is there. It's just a lot of times in grief or trauma, we don't see it. We don't feel it. And it's so weird because it's at the time that we really need it the most, but it's usually in reflection that we'll actually see it. Like, you know, when you get through this year of first, you're probably going to be looking back and state, okay, I see him now. Whereas right now it's like, I don't feel it. I don't see it. But I really feel like too, that knowing that God is important in your life, um, that is part of your identity story as well. And, and I would really, really just recommend you digging in and finding, and maybe even asking God, oh, okay. Um, I was daughter and now I feel like that part of my identity has altered. Who do you say that I am? You know? And, I don't know. I don't want to get too preachy, but, uh, you know, just thinking about what, uh, what part of this does play into your identity, what part of God plays into your identity during this tough time. I don't know. Um, have there been any, anybody in your life? Has there been anybody in your life that has been, um, influential in this time period, somebody who has been an encourager to you or for you? Just some of my friends. So I have friends who like text me almost on a daily basis. So some of my friends have been amazing and, uh, you know, I'll meet some of them over the holidays and stuff. So I do have friends who are reaching out. I had a friend drop by yesterday who I haven't seen in a long time who wanted to see me and my mom. So that was really nice. So I do have friends that, you know, maybe I haven't talked to in a while that are now reaching out and, you know, talking to me daily. So that's a nice little thing to have because it's just nice to know that I'm getting that support and that they're checking in on me to make sure I'm okay or if I need anything to make sure how my days is and stuff like that. So I do have friends that are doing that since dad is gone. So that's mm-hmm. kind of a nice thing for me. Yeah. I'm sure I have a thousand other questions, but I want to make sure that I offer you up enough time to just kind of tie in anything that you want to say about your father, about grief, just about your own life at this point, and just kind of give you the floor for, for any final thoughts or comments. I think I'm still learning this grief process. I'm no expert. I I think it's a lot. It's overwhelming with emotions because, you know, it's like, I feel anxious. I feel stressed. I feel like I'm, I'm crying. I'm just feeling this sadness in my heart. It feels like part of my heart broke. I feel like there is a piece of my heart that's always going to be missing. Like that piece is gone or broken for good. Um, And um, I said, one day, I don't know when, I will see my dad again. And when it's my time to go, He'll be the first person I'm going to go look for. Mm. I will have to go see him again, you know, whenever that time may be. So I, I think it's uh, a lot of learning right now. It's a lot of processing. It's, um, it's a lot of confusion because it's just so many things all at once. And I guess I can only deal with so much that I can handle. So it just, a lot of it just spews through my mind, but it's a bit overwhelming. 
So yeah. I don't have all the answers to things. I don't know. I just, I kind of decide that we're playing it by ear. I'll just focus on today and maybe tomorrow. And that's it. I can't really focus any further because it's really hard. So I try and just focus on whatever I got to do today and maybe think about tomorrow's plan. Because through all of this, I still have to go to work. Mm. Um, I was off for 10 days. I did go back to work on Monday. Um, and then you got to play that fake smile. And then it found, I found out that everybody did find out. I don't know if I was too impressed with that, but people didn't find out what happened. And I got condolences. But So at work, you have to kind of maintain your composure and you have to do your work, right? So you've got to mm -hmm. just pretend nothing's going on because you've got to stay focused in your work. And I do, but it is it is shitty to be at work per se because... I don't know that I was ready to go back, but I feel like I have no choice. I have to go back. Yeah. Well, Jenny, it, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, again, I I'm sorry for the loss of your father. It sounds like he was an awesome dad. And, uh, I really appreciate you sharing your story with others. I, I hope people can learn from, um, your experience and and i really commend you on going out and finding you know mental health uh resources uh through your group and through counseling um i, I just i can't uh commend you enough for that and and i think it'll be a big part of you moving forward and and i hope this podcast uh has helped you, you know, get your story out a little bit. And I encourage you to keep doing your podcast. Um, keep, keep that journal of grief going because I know there's going to be this major shift in your thinking. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be six months from now, but one day you're going to have this turn. And I think you're going to look back at your early podcasts and just see wow, you know, I have grown so much. Um, so hang in there and, uh, just like you stated, you know, keep doing the small steps. I think that's key in any time of grief, just do the small steps. Well, Jenny, thanks. Thanks again. And I want to thank all the listeners. If you've connected with Jenny's story, I will have her email and uh, links to her podcast in the show description. I'll try to put in uh, that image of grief and uh, maybe a link to that grieving brain book, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us. I hope you've been blessed and uh, we'll see you next time. Have a great day.